Hello, and welcome to the AK-47 podcast. My name is Kristen Godsey, and I'm still in Bulgaria, and I feel like I have to record a special bonus episode to discuss the leaked Supreme Court decision that would overturn the landmark 1973 Roe v. Wade decision, which allowed women the right to privacy and therefore guaranteed them the ability to have an abortion and really is the decision that created the groundwork for federal guarantee of women's reproductive freedoms in my country. And obviously, I think many of us knew this was coming when the Republicans, right before the 2020 election, rushed onto the court, another judge, conservative judge, and not surprisingly, Trump's appointments are paying off. And I think it's really important to pause and reflect for a minute here on the fact that abortion, once it is legal and safe, when it gets overturned, they just, these abortions will just go underground and women's lives will be at great risk, especially poor women who do not have the resources to travel to another state to get an abortion. It looks like abortion would be illegal in 26 of the American states if Roe versus Wade is overturned. It's also very clear that carrying a child to term is much more dangerous for a woman than an abortion. So any of these various, you know, lies that abortion is dangerous, it's less dangerous than actually childbirth is. And what this really is, is an attack on women's rights to have control over their bodies and their lives. Because as I'm sure most of you know, having a child is a huge responsibility. At least 18 years of financial and emotional and psychological support is required to rear a child. And I do not understand in what world people in the United States think that it's a good idea to force women to have children that they don't want, particularly in a society where there is no or very little government support for families. We have no paid parental leave guaranteed at the federal level. We have very few resources available for high-quality child care. We don't get child allowances the way that other countries do particularly in Europe. And I do just, it's mind boggling to me that this is happening in 2022. It's not surprising given the regressive state of politics in the United States, but I think it's really important to stop and think about the Soviet counter case here because there's actually a couple of things that we could talk about with regard to Eastern Europe. Uh, the first thing that I want to just bring your attention to is an article that I published in Project Syndicate a couple years ago with my colleague, the historian Maria Bucher at Indiana University. She is 
a Romanian American. And we basically looked at what happened in Romania in 1966 when the government overturned a previously quite liberal abortion policy. And after 1966, all the way until the end of the communist period in 1989, Romania had one of the most draconian anti-abortion laws possibly in the world because they also outlawed birth control. So they were essentially forcing women to have babies. It turned out that Romania had the second highest maternal mortality rate in Europe during this period, second only to Albania, which also had a very strict abortion ban. And they had very high rates of infant mortality. Why did the government liberalize abortion and then outlaw it? Well, the government in Romania, the communist government in Romania, wanted to increase the birth rate. Did it work? Did it actually create more Romanian babies? The answer is no, it did not. It did initially, but women found ways to have abortions or they just stopped having sex with their husbands, with their partners. And many people had really complicated and unhappy relationships because of the reproductive politics of the Romanian state. And if you're interested in reading more about the politics of abortion in Romania, I highly recommend Gail Kligman's book, The Politics of Duplicity. I will leave a link to the op-ed that Maria Bucher and I wrote in the show notes and as well as the title of this book about Romanian abortion politics. The Soviet case, as I'm sure many of you know, because we've talked about it on this podcast before, is that abortion was legalized in 1920. The Soviet Union was the first country to do this. The idea was that people in the government, but particularly Alexandra Kolontai, understood that women were struggling during the Civil War, in the aftermath of the First World War, were struggling to raise children on their own, with their husbands gone, with society changing, with women's labor needed in the factories. Many young women and older women were having underground abortions that were extremely dangerous. And the government was aware of this, and so they decided to outlaw underground abortions and make abortions safe, free, and legal for women in the Soviet Union after 1920. The situation remained that way until 1936. And it was under the Stalinist era that they reversed this decision of allowing women to have free access to abortion. And of course, as soon as Stalin died, they reinstituted the right of abortion and many Soviet women had multiple abortions over the course of their lifetime. In many ways, it was considered a form of birth control. This was very, very much about women's bodily autonomy and also about understanding that poverty is a great disincentive to bringing children into the world. And there may be circumstances, not only considering the physical health of the mother, but also the emotional and psychological health of the mother that might preclude her from wanting to have a child or wanting to increase the size of her family. 
So I found an interesting document online. It is a translation of a July 17th, 1936 interview with Alexandra Kolontai. It's called On the New Abortion Law. It looks like it has been translated from the German, but I cannot figure out where it was originally published. It does not say, but it does give the document identifier from the Russian State Archive of Sociopolitical History, which is in Moscow. And so this document comes from Fond 134. It looks like it comes from folder one and uh, there's a, a sub or, okay, let's see. I think it's Fond 134, box one, folder 257, pages one through six. That's the full archival reference for this document. And Alexander Kolontai is actually being interviewed in this document about the reversal of the law that allowed women to have abortions. Now, you have to understand that at this time, Kolontai was abroad. This was also under the Stalin era, and the politics of this era were, as I'm sure you all know, very violent. There were purges uh, going on within the ranks of the old Bolsheviks. And Kolontai here is defending, interestingly, the reversal of this law that has been on the books for the better part of this part, at this point in time, 16 years. And it's it's an interesting document. I will also leave a link to it in the show notes. But there's this one wonderful passage that I just want to quote. And the interviewer asks Alexander Kollontai, do you believe that the abolition of the old law, which freely provided for abortions in the Soviet Union, will lead to an unfavorable reaction in the other countries where radical women are leading a courageous fight for the right to abortion? Now, so this is 1936. And Kolontai basically says, look, the reason that this law is being reversed is that the economic conditions have improved in the Soviet Union. And so we can now provide massive amounts of assistance for motherhood. And we can, you know, basically help women raise children. And that basically in the Soviet Union, what is happening is that men, because men are responsible for paying child support, many men are trying to coerce women to get abortions. She says that in her estimation, women were actually supporters of the reversing of this law, and it was men who were largely somewhat reserved towards the now ban on abortion in the Soviet Union. And of course, this is just her opinion. This is just an interview. But in response to this question that she gets asked about whether or not the outlawing of abortion in the Soviet Union will be bad for other countries where women are struggling for this right. This is 1936. Remember that Roe versus Wade is not until 1973. Kolontai says, and this is a direct quote from her, as long as women or men live under the pressure of unemployment, as long as the level of wages is not sufficient for the family, as long as housing conditions are unfavorable, 
And as long as the state does not make motherhood easier for every woman in various ways and does not provide social services for mother and child, it is clear that the women must stand up for free abortions. Unquote. I think this is extremely prescient of her. I will actually also drop the text of that quote into the show notes. For those of you who have social media, I think you can cut and paste this onto your social media feeds or whatever, and maybe make a quote graphic or something. I think this is a fantastic quote from 1936 from Alexandra Kollontai, basically pointing out the height of hypocrisy that in a country like the United States, which provides almost no support for mothers and families, they want to force women to carry children to term. Now, of course, they argue that women are free to give up these children for adoption. But imagine the physical costs and the financial costs to women in a country where we don't even have health care for everyone. This We have no public health care. So this is not just about forcing women to physically bear children to carry a baby to term with all the complications that that might entail, but it's also incurring the financial expense of having a baby as well. Obviously, from my perspective, people on the quote-unquote pro-life side of this debate believe that they are protecting the rights of the unborn child. And many of them believe that life begins at conception. And so they're putting, they value the life of the child over the life and the autonomy of the mother. But what's really happening, I think, it's so clear, is that this is an attack on women's autonomy. This is an attack on women's rights because if women are forced to have babies that they don't want, it's going to be very difficult for them to stay in the labor force. It's going to push more and more women into poverty. It's going to make women more dependent on men, which is exactly what they want, a return to some kind of weird 1950s throwback traditional family where women are pregnant and in the kitchen and men are the so-called breadwinners. Well, here's a newsflash. The economy of the world has changed and all those good industrial jobs that gave, you know, paid family wages once upon a time, which paid family wages because they were unionized, all those jobs are gone. And I don't know what fantasy world these people are living in. But it's very, very clear that this is a fundamental attack on women's rights. And if we think about what Colin Tai said in 1936, and again, I think it's really important that she said this in the context of the reversal of the Soviet law, which allowed women to have abortions, of which she was a huge proponent. She was the one who helped get this law passed in 1920. Now, I think it is important that she did see it as a temporary necessary measure because of the hardships of that period of time in the 20s. In my reading of this document, you know, this is 1936. Kolontai cannot speak out against the Soviet government. She cannot speak out about what's happening in the Soviet Union because she is an ambassador of the Soviet Union and she has to try to represent the country in the best light 
possible. So I think there's a lot of context for what this document is about. And it's very clear that she's trying to somewhat deftly avoid directly answering some of the questions that this person is uh, asking her. Maybe in another episode, I, I can read this whole document, but I just thought it was really key for me to highlight this one sentence. And I think it's so important that I will read it one more time. It's so radical to recognize that as long as women and men live under the pressure of unemployment, as long as the level of wages is not sufficient for a family, as long as housing conditions are unfavorable, and as long as the state does not make motherhood easier for every woman in various ways and does not provide social services for mother and child, it is clear that the women must stand up for free abortions. Now, I understand that there's also a lot of anxiety in places like Poland and today in the United States where the birth rate is declining, but there is just no way that forcing women to have babies that they don't want is either good for the mothers or their children or for society as a whole. By forcing women to have babies, you're doing exactly what the communist regime did in Romania, which was a catastrophe for Romanian mothers, for Romanian children, for Romanian families. And it did not even achieve the results that they were hoping to achieve in the sense that they did not increase the birth rate. So that's my little rant. I have to say, I'm obviously you can, I'm sure as you can hear, I'm quite upset about this situation, as I think many, many people in the United States are. I'm I'm far away, but it's still something that with everything else that's going on in the world right now, I've just felt it was necessary to explain a little bit about the context of how stupid it is to overturn an abortion law that has been on the books for a considerable number of years because you will not achieve what you want to achieve. And the historical record shows that very clearly. All right. As always, thank you so much for listening and keep up the good fight. We need it. Boy, do we need it now more than ever. <laughs>